In this episode of 92i Talks, Carly Zakin and Daniel Weisberg, co-founders of The Skim, sit down with today co-host Hoda Kotb to discuss how they are reimagining the idea of morning television and changing the way female millennials receive news and information. It was recorded on January 18th, 2017, in front of a live audience at New York's 92nd Street Y. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. Okay, so there is a lot of motivation, ambition, and everything up on this stage. So I want to dig back into the childhood of these kids just for a second because <laughs> this did not happen by accident. You guys didn't create this incredible company like this. So when you were little, yes. what did you tell your parents you wanted to be? Oh, I think I wanted to be a waitress, which I was. Um, Congratulations. So I did that. So happy for you. Um, and then, yeah, I did that right after I graduated college and couldn't get a job. Okay. Um, and then I think forever I loved storytelling, and I wanted to be an actress for a really long time. But I think what really was behind that was the fact that I just loved telling other people's stories. Okay. And how about when you were a little yeah. girl, what did you say, mom and dad, this is what I want to be? I might have been more precocious, and I said I wanted to be Katie Couric at age five. So you did? I did, and I should say I was little in this building. Uh, so I grew up in this building. I went to nursery school here. My mom had worked here for oh. over 20 years. So it's very surreal being back here, and I used to be snuck back into the green room for all of these lecture series and get yelled at, and my mom would get yelled at. So it's a nice full circle. But uh, yeah, I always wanted, I my parents watched the Today Show in the morning, and I watched the Today Show with them and I got ready for school looking at that and I was like I want to do that and I used to be late for school because I just watched the Today Show and that's all I wanted to do. So when you guys were in high school I'm imagining you two were popular. Were you popular? Just kidding. It's okay. I mean, Smart in we all the clubs. We weren't unpopular. Okay. Yeah. Oh my God. We weren't that way. I, mean, I had friends. We yeah. weren't like the cool We weren't. Yeah. We were not like Regina George. You like, weren't? No, we were not. No. Definitely not. No. I was not athletic enough. It were was you not, yeah. officers? Were like president, VP? We were. Um, what I were think you? we were both like. We were like. I was like a, a lot of embarrassing things. Like, like I was, what? We were joiners. Yeah. Like, we did I, a lot. I yeah. was really into community service. I was. I tried to oust the heads of community service when I was a junior and they were seniors. I was like, I'm more passionate about yeah. community service than you. I, I took over the head of Booster Club as a junior, which created, it was like a coup. I remember yeah. that. I yeah, was I really liked the government. I, yeah. I, my, Your book. Um, my slogan was like, Carly's on a roll in the cafeteria. And it was like me on a roll. Uh, <laughs> were you guys straight A's? Um, I, was, I was not... Uh, I was like A minus in, okay. in high school. I'm actually really so glad that you brought this yeah. up because some of my high school teachers are here and I had a lot of A minus slash B pluses and I find them <laughs> yeah. so unfair to this day. <laughs> Wait, your teachers um, are here? Some of them, yeah. yeah. You know, that t I'm sorry, that tells you something about somebody, doesn't it? When your teachers come to watch you here tonight, in addition to your parents and your family, that's pretty telling. We're, I think we're both really lucky that we have really have had amazing support systems our whole life. And, you know, I'm lucky I'm from New York, so I have my whole family is here, um, and Danielle's been adopted into that, and Danielle has extended yes. family here, and, and when we're in Chicago where Danielle's from, it's the same thing. Right, there's a, there's a really great reporter in the audience. His name is Mark Myers, and he works for the Wall Street Journal. And he, he interviewed me before, and he's got great questions, and he asked me this question, and it kind of was like a little window into your childhood, so I'm gonna ask you guys. Okay. So I want you to go into your childhood bedroom, close your eyes, Open your eyes, look around, and tell me what you see. Describe what you see inside. I got a lot of wicker furniture. <laughs> and 
that. <laughs> I don't know why. And I had a lot of books, and I always had the TV on. I think I, I, like, I, I think too. I was going to say I that. always had the TV on. Like, I always multitasked. I always did my homework with the TV yeah. on. And it's like, I always like stories. With, like, Dawson's Creek being recorded. That wasn't what I had. That, that, was, <laughs> that was just me. Uh, was it neat, by the way? No. No? Okay. Uh, like, yeah, yes and no. In between? So yeah. I had a really big desk with like lots of books on it. Okay. And I never actually wrote on the desk, but I used to keep like one of those, you know, like vision boards where I would pin things that I took from ads that I liked or like quotes and put it up there. And then I did all my homework on the floor in front of the TV. I did on the floor yeah. too. <laughs> all right, so you go, you guys go off to college. Um, did you know when you entered college, did you say, I, I mean, you wanted to be Katie. Did you say to yourself, I'm going into journalism? Yes, I knew, so I, I I went to Penn and they didn't have a journalism major that made sense for me. Um, so I didn't major in communications or journalism, but I knew I was gonna work, I wanted to work in media. And I specifically wanted to work at NBC News and did like everything I could to get in front of the right people to, to intern there. When I started interning there, I realized I didn't want to be on camera. Why did you, why did you decide well, that? I would well, ask you, but it seems really yeah. hard. It's kind of awkward saying to you, but I, I think we were, we, uh, I think quickly realized that um, we were sane and not wanting to be on TV every day and have people look at us every day. Um, we really like being on your radio show. Yeah, that was, yeah. That was good. <laughs> yeah, good. But we, the, we saw the, the lifestyle that a lot of people had on camera and I think we both had that same realization yeah. and I liked being a producer. I liked studying the producers. I liked how they put everything together and um, so I very quickly was like okay I'm not gonna pursue the on-camera route but I really really want to pursue production and working at NBC and all the way up through this you're mm -hmm. in, what did you major in in college um, so I went to Tufts yeah. and I majored in American studies um, and I minored in English and by the time I went to college I really knew that I just loved journalism I loved writing and that's what I wanted to do um, so every single class that I took was kind of geared towards that. Mm -hmm. So that I, I think what was weird about us is that we never had that discovery period in college. Like we went in being like, this is what we want to do. We always had a ton of internships. Every class was about like American history, American politics, American film, anything to do with that, um, which I think is good and bad. Like I kind of wish that we had maybe explored a little bit more, but it made, um, I think entering the, the job field, like we always knew we wanted to work for NBC News. That was kind of the pinnacle. Now, all the way through, you two had not met up to this point. You're in separate colleges, you're doing your own things, your paths had not crossed at all. No, no. So when was the magic moment? When did you two meet? <laughs> we, we love answering this, because we have such a good founding story better than other founders, we think. Uh, we, <laughs> we met in Rome. Uh, we did a study abroad program, not through either of our universities, a different school, um, and we met in Rome, and there were, I don't know, like 100 kids on the program, yeah. and we met in the, like, study lounge area and we bonded because we were both looking for the fried artichokes in Rome. <laughs> and we were like, oh, we'll go find them together. And we were, we were friendly, you know, we hung out a bunch. Um, Was we it one of, sometimes, you know, have you ever met a friend and there's something that happens that is, it's like, chemistry, like you know that something's gonna be there. Did no. you all have that? I think it was. No, I don't think it was like that. <laughs> I, I was, you told me that you felt that way. I don't lie. <laughs> don't lie. Um, no, I don't think we had Carly that. Carly was like, yes, you were the one. Um, no, I think, no, I mean, we were good friends, but like, you know, it was, we were so young. I think we were maybe not even 20 years old. Yeah. 
But um, I think what's actually weird about it is that we never talked about having the same interests. Oh. I mean, we were, you know, 19 in Europe, yeah. like away for the first time, thinking about where to eat and where to go out, and that was kind of uh -huh. it. So I think we actually, once we put together when we got back, um, and uh, it, then it kind of became something like, oh, that's a little weird. We like okay, so wanted guys, to do the same thing. So you all are, you're, you guys are in Rome, you come back, you start looking for internships, and they're not easy to get. You get one at NBC right away. What, what were you doing right after, um, right when you got back? So I went to work for MSNBC okay. this summer in, in Secaucus. Yeah. Uh, I worked for uh, Scarborough, Scarborough Country, I think, at that time, and oh, then the wow. Dan Abrams Report. Uh -huh. Yeah, it was. What was that like? Because that's a grind. I don't know if you guys, I mean, it's one thing because you see the hour on TV, but when you work on one of those yeah. hours, describe what a day was like for you guys. So. My first job out of college um, after waitressing was I got a call after applying for jobs, including the NBC Page program, which rejected me, um, which I thought, like, I will never get over this. Um, and they rejected me the day that... We don't that, forget things. No. <laughs> like, the New York Times spread came out about how great the program was, and I was just, like, in bed in home in Chicago, just like, I'm never going to get a job. Um, was that one of the first big rejections you ever had? Yeah. Can you tell? <laughs> yeah. Just a little, it still hurts. <laughs> well, but, you're, used to, you're used to things working, okay. everything working for you. Okay, so this one so, went out. So I went to, um, I remember I had interviewed, I flew to, when I was in college as a senior, I flew to DC for the day. Okay. And I met with an alum who, David Gellis, who worked at the Today Show, yes. um, who nicely said I could go follow him for a day, and I took him up on it. Um, and just continued to stalk him. <laughs> and uh, about, I think it was end of September, uh, that fall I graduated and I got a call from the DC Bureau at NBC News saying, can you move to DC in two weeks and start? Um, Hesitate or no? No, it was pack up everything, find a place on Craigslist and move. Um, which I think, looking back now, I'm like, oh, that was crazy. Um, but you do, you work every set of hours imaginable. So what was a work day like? Because I'm going to compare it with what you guys do now, which is a grind too, but what was it like when you were working at NBC? So there are no set hours. Um, yeah. I mean, it was like come in at four, leave at two, come in at two, leave whenever you know the news cycle's done, and then that's just the basics. So then if you want to stand out, then you have to go put in your time on the hill and kind of just be there and wait for something to happen. Mm -hmm. And, and um, that's what I did, and I loved it. Like, I'm so glad it's over, but uh, <laughs> I absolutely loved it, and I learned more than I would have in any other job out of college. Was there, was Carly, when you were in it, because sometimes when you're in that kind of a grind, you either fall in love or you decide. I hated it. You hated I did. It? I, I loved NBC. So my first job was at CNBC. I was a production associate, um, and I was also in lovely New Jersey, and I had to commute to Englewood Cliffs, and... I was working 16 to 18 hour days, um, couldn't get home at night because there was that shuttle that like closes at a certain hour yeah. and then you're there, you're stuck, it was awful. Um, but I was an assistant to one of the hosts um, and she was lovely, but it, it was a real grind. I mean, my, I, my day was booking cars, booking guests, printing scripts, running. I used to change my shoes and I sprinted. That's what I really did. I just sprinted up and down the back staircases to get scripts sure to there the was host. water on the set, making sure that she had her lipstick, making Who sure was it? Carmen Wong Ulrich, who's been an amazing supporter oh, yeah. and mentor. And um, she, but it was it was a real grind. It was also a new show. It's called On the Money. So it was a total development show where things were totally switched an hour before the show went uh, mm -hmm. went to air. 
Um, and I realized very quickly that I was like, I do not thrive in a breaking news environment. And I love news, but now I know what I don't want to do. So I was really good at weeding things out that I didn't like, but I didn't know how to articulate what it is I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to be in the building. And my parents used to joke that I truly wanted to be the superintendent of 30 Rock. <laughs> <laughs> I, I used to be like, the building's so great, the lunch <laughs> options, all the, the, the activity crew. happening. And I used to, I mean, it sounds like a stalker, but when I was at NBC, you know, you could watch the live feed. So I used to watch you doing your live feed at Dateline. Oh my God. Like, and like on the soundstage. And I was just like taking it all in. And yeah. I got, I thankfully got switched over to MSNBC Longform, um, which was amazing. I had an amazing group of people there so that you, helped me figure it out. You two are both working at NBC and you are oblivious that the two of you who'd met before were somewhere around each other in their orbit. We, yeah. yeah, we. so what happened was we were interning in the summers. We interned for some of the same people, but not in the same summers or not in the same parts of the summer. So we just never connected. Um, and then right after college, we were Facebook friends. And Dan I had written for uh, First Read, the political blog in college, and Danielle was writing for them right after college. And so I was reading it, and it said, by Danielle Weisberg. So I Facebook messaged her, Facebook messaged her and said, is this you? And yeah. she's like, yes. And we quickly connected. She was in DC. I was trying to move to DC. And um, very quickly became really close friends. So you two are working at NBC. It's a job that a lot of people in here would just, you know, cut their right arm off to get. You have, you know, there are crazy hours, but you have decent pay, benefits, the whole thing. Well, it's not decent pay. And I didn't even have benefits. I didn't have benefits you have for the first pay. two and a half years. Um, so, yeah, that was not okay. the case. All right, you had a job we and had a paycheck. We had a job. And, yeah. was, and you, let's go. And I printed yeah. my own business cards. Yeah. And I you had think business we cards. Made, we made $12 an hour. Yeah. You did? Out. Yes. yes. Oh, that's horrible. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Is that what they pay? $12 that, yeah, an yeah, hour? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Anyway, so um, <laughs> now I get why you quit and went to do the skim. All right. So, but the two of you do have, uh, look, you tell your friends you work at NBC, and they say, wow, you work at yeah. NBC, you get to be around people, and it really is a learning environment. Okay. So you have that, and you know you have a long runway there if you want. So, Danielle, what would make, so you guys start to talk about this idea, like what happened? So I think, fast forward, like we reconnected in DC and then both of us actually ended up moving to New York. Okay. Uh, so we're in New York, we're both working at 30 Rock. Um, Carly's in long form, I was working for Lawrence O'Donnell's show. Mm -hmm. And so my schedule was I would go into work at around two and I would get home at like 11.30 and Carly would be going to bed. We also were roommates. Yeah, oh yeah, we were roommates. Oh, you guys were roommates? Yeah. yeah. We were really good friends. We were yeah. living in a tiny so little met, apartment. So you met again and then you decided to live together? Yeah. Well, not in one night. Yeah. But, but like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, over the years we decided it'd be a good idea. So uh, we took our relationship to the next step <laughs> and we moved in together. Um, but we had opposite work hours, so we okay. never really saw each other. Um, so we would, you know, kind of always talked about this idea, like this idea that we had, and it didn't even have a name. It was called like Project TBD. That's kind of what we called it forever. And, and it, the idea was just- What was the headline, yeah. It was just like, we, we think that there's a better way to give our friends news. And I think we're articulating it much better now than we actually did at the time to each other. But we always knew we wanted to start something. Okay. I think for various reasons, one is we feel so lucky that we had those jobs starting out at NBC. Like we feel like we learned from the best in the business. Um, but we were both at a really interesting point where we either, I think we both felt we wanted to learn more about the business side. 
And ah. that's hard because if you're on editorial, you're not really ever shown those business decisions. And we would look at things like, oh, well, you're not reaching a millennial demographic, and are you thinking about what you're putting on air or when you're putting it on air? And those types of decisions weren't really ever given to producers, especially at our level. Um, but the answers we got were like, oh, go quit your job and go to business school. And it was like, who's oh. going to pay for that? And yeah. then we're going to hope we get hired back? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Um, and then at the same time, we saw our friends who are smart and went to great schools and have great jobs just did not watch anything we produced for a living. No, they didn't? No. Yeah. But they do watch you. Uh, <laughs> they do. Because <laughs> um, we drink. I mean, yeah. I know why they watch us. Exactly. I mean, yeah, it's you, obvious. You guys figured it out. <laughs> we really yeah, did. You, really you did. did. You have the best job. You want... <laughs> um, so, so it was kind of just twofold, really wanting to take on more of the business side and seeing that our friends are this demographic that where we worked wasn't reaching, but there wasn't anything being changed about the routines or the voice that they were trying to connect sure. to. Sure. So, so how did guys, your friends, kids your age, how did they get news? So I think the answer of four and a half years ago is different than it is today. But mm -hmm. four and a half years ago, it was, um, I think our friends fell in a few different camps. Some were like, I'm so busy, and they were total experts around their specific field. So our friends in finance could talk to you about absolutely uh. everything in finance. But when we brought up, um, I, would, I was about to say we brought up sports, but I did not bring sports up. <laughs> but we brought up, you know, entertainment, or we brought up politics. That was outside of their comfort zone. And our friends in other areas had the exact same experience. Then we had friends who or were like a sponge and loved to consume news and were on Twitter. And that was kind of like the height of Twitter. And I think they were experiencing, you know, you go away from your desk for an hour, you come back, there are 530 tweets to catch up mm -hmm. on. So how do, you, how do you get that information in a concise way? And then we had friends who were very honest that were like, news has never been for me mm -hmm. for a lot of different reasons. It's depressing, it's boring, or it makes me feel stupid. And what we would see is that the common thread between us is we had really smart, really well-educated friends and family, and we would go to dinners, and we would see who dropped out of conversation when. Hmm. And because we were paid to literally read wires all day long, it wasn't like we were more interested in a topic than they were, or smarter than they were. It was like that just, we, that, that, was, was, what, that was our job. We were doing our job. And so that, I think, coupled with the fact that we knew they weren't watching what we were producing, that we realized there was this opportunity. And I think had we not lived together, this never would have happened. Oh, wow. But I think we were both having this feeling, like this itching feeling. And I, like for me, I felt like I wasn't living, like I sound like Oprah, but I wasn't living my best life. Like I, I felt like. <laughs> you took that directly from I did. Oprah. But I felt like I was. Like I, I am in the place I wanted to be. I'm at the company I've like always dreamed of, but I don't feel like I'm living up to my potential. Uh -huh. And I did, and I was searching. I, w I mean, we had a bookshelf that literally had the GRE book, the GMAT book, the LSAT book, and the Secret <laughs> all next to each other. And we were both just like reaching for things. I mean, I signed up for an econ class at NYU at night. I was like, why am I here? I hate this. Mm -hmm. And it, we were just both looking for how do you take your career to the next level? And we knew it wasn't going to happen. Um, um, in our old jobs as much as we loved where we worked. I think the other part of it, too, that's interesting is so many people ask us, like, well, wasn't it scary to quit your job? And of course, because we didn't have a safety net. We had wonderful family that we knew would be there, and Carly's family made us a lot of dinners. Um, but there was no, like, you know, financial safety net. Like, right. We were on our own, which I think was the best thing that could have happened because we had no other choice but 
to go for it. Mm -hmm. But there wasn't any, I mean, graduating college in 2008 and then quitting our jobs in 2012, it's not like working for a big company, there was any more job security. Mm -hmm. So I think that kind of helps put things in perspective that we knew that we wanted to do more with our careers. And the answer, especially at that time, wasn't stay in the same job and try and work up a ladder. Now, I know that you guys knew what your friends wanted um, and all that stuff, but isn't, when you look at the internet, it's full of news blogs and HuffPo and ways to get things in a million spots. So, you know, there has to be a need. I still remember I, I was talking, I interviewed Bethany for something, and she was talking about the day Skinny Girl was born, and she said, oh, I, I used to go to the bars and say, I, don't, I want a margarita, but I don't want to get fat. Do you have anything? And they said, no. And she said, why don't they have something for me? Yeah. Or she said a friend of hers looked in her medicine cabinet and noticed that all the bottles in there were round, and round bottles don't fit next to each other, so why doesn't someone do square? You know, just where, where there's a need. You knew there was a need, but there, were, there was lots of stuff out there you guys didn't know about. I, it's really weird to explain it now, but yeah. then there were certain things we just didn't talk about, and we were just on the same wavelength. And like that oh. is where you're like, oh, that connection. Like We didn't talk about how we're gonna solve it, we just knew. Like We knew it was an email, we knew it was the voice, and when we literally sat down to write it for the first time, we like, I think we went into different rooms and then showed it to each other. It was identical. It was scary. And it's yeah. not, it, it wasn't how I would write it. It definitely wasn't Carly's voice either. So it was just in our head. It was like, what do you want to hear from at 6 a.m.? And we knew it was at 6 a.m. because we actually picked the time that people leave, that we had friends who worked in finance, and that's the time they left. So you, you decided you weren't going to have a website. You weren't going to have, you know, just like a site to go to. You were going to send an email out every morning at 6 a.m. Yes. That was the plan. Yes, that was the plan. Did When people heard the plan, like, what are you going to do? We're going to blast out an email people at 6 we a.m. People thought we were idiots. They think I mean, you were crazy? Yes. Crazy. Yeah, because it like, seems too simple, we right? Were, we were, I, I mean, can't explain to you how crazy people thought we were. I mean, we, I think what we were really good at is we were really good at networking and really good at storytelling. And that was like our journalistic training. And so we were starting to network. So we were like, let's just talk to anyone that has a business. And so we talked to anyone that would meet with us, truly, like accountants, designers, lawyers, um, people in media, real estate, like anyone that just what has a profession. What were you talking about? We were like, yeah. how do you start a business? Oh, you were asking yeah. people oh, how yeah. to do it. I mean, do you register? What's anywhere? the difference between an LLC? <laughs> yeah. Like, how do you do, do you, you just, tell someone? Do like, you just start business? doing it? Like, how do you become a C corp? Like, do we have to get a, a yeah. bank account with no money? I think in it? We, like, we literally spent the most time on what kind of accountant do we need. Yeah. We didn't have any money, yeah, no. so <laughs> it didn't. I don't know why we did that. Or like, yeah, we, yeah. Now, did you? quit the job be while you were still in this nether world of we what had, is it? Or did you keep it for a while? No. Until we had the idea, but yeah. we didn't do anything until we quit. And honestly, so quit. we couldn't have because we were working so hard. And I think it was, we, we hear a lot when people are like, I have this idea, I have this idea, but I want to do it while I have this job. And, you know, I mean, there, there's contracts that get in the way, but I think it's, you have to be totally committed. At least we do. Like, you have to jump in and give yourself no way out, yeah. or else there's no way we would have gone out. I mean, I remember those days, we, those were the days we were talking to people, how do you do this? And I think I took a meeting with a lawyer, mm -hmm. um, and I, I left, like, during lunch, and I was just like, how does one register a company? <laughs> and it was literally my meeting. And then when I got out of the meeting, my um, supervisor told me they were switching the show I was on. And then Danielle's promotion was delayed, like literally within 24 oh. hours. And I remember I like called her, texted her, Danielle, I was like, this is it. Like, 
the stars are aligning, like, let's do it. And we were doing conference calls with our parents and like together, and our, it was like a marriage, like our parents had to talk. And we were like, <laughs> okay, are we like all doing this? And um, you know, we, we realized like, okay, like this is gonna happen. Um, we quit and then we launched a day later. Tell me about the day you quit. <laughs> Why did uh, you ask Danielle? <laughs> uh, I was really non-emotional. Um, no, I went into, I mean, like going back, the fact that, you know, from the time we were 18, we wanted to work for NBC and then to have these jobs and quit these jobs, it was irrational and it was totally crazy, yet it was something that we wanted to do. Um, so quitting our jobs, it, it was really the hardest day of my life. Um, so did you I, walk in? And... I walked in. I mean, I remember I emailed my boss the night before and I was like, you know, can we talk? I'll come in early before the pitch meeting. Came in early, I sat down and I just started crying. Like, just tears flooding. And I was like, I, I really need to quit because I have this thing, but I can't tell you because we were so superstitious. Yeah. And uh, they were like, I think you're quitting, but I can't understand you because you're gasping for air. Um, so Why do you think you were crying so hard? Because I really love my job. Yeah. We didn't leave because we were unhappy. Like, I loved who I was working for, and I loved the team, and... You know, it was, we didn't leave because we were unhappy, we left because we wanted more. Yeah. And I think had we seen the path to get more where we were, we never would have left. And you, do you guys quit on the same day? Uh, I think I quit the day before. Yeah. 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 But like within the same 24 hour period. All right. So you get home that night, the night after mm -hmm. Danielle quits, and you realize, oh my gosh, yeah. we did this. We, well, I think what we did was that night is we made a lot of food. Yeah. We put it in the refrigerator, and it looked like we were preparing to go underground for a year. <laughs> With and the thought that we would be so poor we couldn't order takeout anymore. So we were like, we will soup. cook enough food that we never have to think about. Is that what yeah. you did? For, that was the thought. Which and was like, we did. that's how we were preparing to start a business. And like, <laughs> cook, cook, fill the fridge, and we took a picture, and, and we that like, was the last yeah. time that fridge was ever stopped. And I think we ate takeout then for the next year. Then we made an email list of everyone we were going to email the next morning about the business. So we put together, um, we did two things. At that time, you could download all of your Facebook contacts. You get their email addresses. So we okay. just downloaded all of them. Okay. Then we went through all of our Gmail contacts and literally uploaded anyone that we've ever emailed with. Like, a I mean, a chain mail, like anything, junk. Uh, and <laughs> We took off, I think we each got two vetoes, and we took those people off. But we, we drafted our email to go out the next morning. And did it have a, have a name at that point? We just said New Venture. Yeah. New Venture? The skin. Okay. And we said, hi, we quit our jobs. Please, we're doing this. We think, um, please sign up, and please share it with friends. It would mean so much to us. And at that point, like, we, we sent it out, and we literally just sat on our living room floor and watched people sign up and just kept reloading it and watching it. How many did you have? So at the end of the day, we had 800 people. Oh my gosh. And I was, I mean, when I think about that, actually yeah. now knowing like growth um, behavior, mm -hmm. like I, I think that was really an amazing first day. And then the other thing that happened was that I think it was a slow news week and it was middle of July, it was July 18th of 2012. And I, people started picking us up, and all of a sudden, uh, Slate had a debate about us. Wait, what? Yeah. yeah. And should I we skim or should we not skim? We're that like, was really terrifying for two people that had no desire to be on the other side. So that was yeah, the I mean, first time. Yeah, I mean, up until we sent the email out, we went back and forth that last night, should yeah. we launch this anonymously? 
Should why did we just, you, why? Because we were scared to put our names out. Okay. Yeah. Um, we were very private people, and we were like, I don't know if we could handle that, and we kind of made up all these excuses why it was better to be anonymous, which was not a good idea. Okay. So I'm glad we didn't do that. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that happened is we emailed people like you. <laughs> we yeah, were like, hi, <laughs> former NBCer, and we never met you. Yeah, but we, we, really like like we didn't show. know you at NBC. We mm -hmm. never worked with you, and we emailed you and uh, pretty much every other on-camera talent. And we were like, we're former NBCers. We'd love to tell you what you're doing, what we're doing. And you were one of very few that wrote back, <laughs> and uh, were very gracious to meet us. Uh, you met me for French fries. I did at Romans, right across from Thirty Rock. I remember. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you signed up, and mm -hmm. then. And so we launched on a, a Tuesday, and then I believe it was that Friday or following Monday, following Monday, mm -hmm. that we had a meeting. So first of all, we launched, we went right back to 30 Rock to meet all of our old bosses to tell them what we just launched. So we like went right back. Okay. And then we, so we had meetings like that the whole week where we kept going back to see people who we love at NBC. So that next Monday, we went back to NBC and we stopped at Starbucks and we were just sitting there and my phone started like crashing and someone wrote on our Facebook wall, I just saw you on the Today Show. So we thought we got caught like on the plaza. Uh, oh, and we were like, oh, yeah. we were like, oh wow, there's good <laughs> eyesight. <Yeah>. And then <laughs> like they saw us, we stand out. <laughs> and then we my, our email just kept crashing, like it wouldn't load on our phone. And then you had named us as one of your favorite things. Yes, and I that did. Changed our and life. That oh. was, I mean, we have been so fortunate to have had um, support from a lot of different people, but you really, we can't thank you enough for oh, what you well, did for two you people guys, that you didn't know. By the way, it was on. a total layup. It was a total layup when I saw you guys <laughs> and met you and realized how cool you were. And I think, here's the other thing. So you're sending this out, and I found, I, I loved your writing style. Like, thank I you. read, I, certain things I read just because I love this style, and I know a lot of you get the skim, but uh, if you don't, it's such a fun read, and it makes you feel smart when you go to a party, things you wouldn't normally, you know, look into and you go, oh, I already knew that. Or, and you, and you'll, you, we'll go through like how you pick the topics that you choose. But so you send, you send emails out and let's say everyone's sharing it. You're still not like making any money, right? No. You're just sending out emails. Okay. No. Yeah. So we didn't make money for a long time, but now we do make a lot of money as a company, which is a great thing to say. But, um, but back then we, you just had to get traction. Yeah. Back then. And I think it was really, you know, the one thing um, that we did well, which Carly said early on, was that we networked. So we got out there and we started meeting people that had started companies or were building companies and really asked them, you know, when you, when you start, what do you think about? Yeah. And the advice was you can either go after revenue or you can go after growth. Um, and we had seen 800 people sign up from us sending out an email um, and just decided to go after growth. Um, so we focused for, I think, the first two years of the company, it was just about user acquisition. We turned down revenue from day one. Yeah, so you did? We brand did. started approaching us within our first week. So the things that we did, like the night before, going back to your earlier question, we made yeah. the food, we then drafted our email, and we made a list of who are the 25 people we need to get the skim in front of. And it was actually an amazing feeling, because two years later, we had hit every single person on that list, including Oprah. And that was a very cool thing to go back to. Uh, except Andy Cohen, actually. He would not meet with us. But, <laughs> but we'll get him to skim uh, yes, one day. You yeah. will. But, yes, you uh, will. We then went through, and we were like, OK, well, who are the brands that we want to reach? Who do, what brands make sense for the skim? And very quickly, those brands started reaching out to us, which was very surreal. And I think 
had we been, had we had different experience, like if we had a business background, maybe we would have reacted differently, but we truly had no idea what to do with an inbound interest from a brand, and we couldn't take it on. So we just said, we're not working with brands right now, we'll let you know if we are. And inadvertently, we made ourselves hard to get. Yes. And inadvertently, people started talking, the skim won't work with anybody, um, and you can't get in the skim. And all of a sudden, we built this clout around the brand that was purely because we had no idea how to do an ad <laughs> I think we went in for our first big pitch and we asked someone, how do you structure a deal? And they gave us the worst advice oh ever. So we ever. literally went into this meeting and I think we asked for, I don't know, something crazy, like $10 million for, and this was like four and a half years ago. So, and this game is almost five years old. So um, they were like, just ask, Go big. And um, after that meeting, it was just kind of like, you know what, let's, let's We're never like, doing take a bit. We're never going to do this. Like, yeah. And we got like sick, felt physically sick after we saw the reaction in that What meeting. was the yeah. reaction? Um, we got this woman in the meeting. It was a fashion label that we really idolized. And the woman in the meeting really kept her calm. And she was just like, thank you so much for coming in. And I was like, OK, we didn't get it, but we did our first pitch. And then we started getting calls and emails from the designer and was like, who the hell do you think you are? And I, like, wow. the, you met with someone who was really important and you embarrassed yourselves, you embarrassed them, mm -hmm. you embarrassed me. And we were, I, I mean, oh, I cried, yeah. like it was, it was horrible. I think and that's actually something we think about a lot now from a management perspective, which is people, you know, at the skim, sometimes it's their first job. And a lot of people we interview, it's their, their first job or they're starting their company for the first time. And I think that experience really helped us. Like we wish that that person had just taken us aside and said, hey, like, we want to discuss came with off you. Like, like yeah, this is you, you came off like real assholes. And yeah. like, you should really look at yeah. like what you're pricing. Um, and instead, you know, it just embarrassed us, and, and I think we, you know, are lucky to have had advisors that helped us along the way, but that's something that we really try to bring into our day-to-day. -day. Wow, that's brutal. That, must yeah, have, that yeah. was a brutal day. Yeah. <laughs> so when, when you went back again after that experience, mm -hmm. how did you, like, what was the pitch? So I think it was so much easier going back when we were actually ready, and not even because, because from an infrastructure perspective we were set up, but because we had waited so long, the pitch was really, the skim is unlike any other property out there because we say no to brands that we don't like. We only work with brands that we do like, that respect our audience. And when you become a partner to the skin, you're not just, I mean, you're joining a community of people that read a lot of things, but, and this was actually something that was a quote one of our ambassadors posted in our Facebook group, that when they read the New York Times, they're reading the New York Times, and that's great. But when they interact with the skim, they're a skimmer and that you're a part of a community. So I think when we went out to pitch for the first time, it was much easier to see what we had created. Mm -hmm. And also, it's a much clearer value proposition for a brand to say, this is something special, and this is something that isn't just a CPM or a number that you're slapping on an ad buy. This is joining a trusted community, um, and it's bespoke, and that costs money. Well, explain this to me like a third grader. <laughs> so you have advert. Where where are the advertisers? I don't see them on the email you send out. Yes, yeah, so we have they a native. There? We have a native advertising model, meaning 
it's woven into the stories that we tell, ah. but it doesn't touch the actual news. So we never let a brand tell us what we're writing about. We never let them actually touch the news of the day. Um, they can change up our logo. They can change up the lifestyle parts. Right. Um, but we make it clear to our audience, and actually the first time we ran a sponsor, we wrote in the newsletter, hey, we're going to start working with brands. It's going to be brands that we like. We also need to make money. Uh, so yeah. tell us what you think and, and help us work it out. And I think one of the greatest things about our company is that we have such a direct line of communication with our audience. So they tell us what they like, they tell us what they don't like, and from there we've been able to switch up our model and make it really clear when we are working with brands. Okay. Um, so you went from you two on the couch with a, with a refrigerator full of food. How many people work at the Skim now? 38 people. 38 people. All right. You had no money in the beginning. How much is your company worth? Well, we can't say how much we're well, worth. We think we're worth a lot. But we, yeah. we raised over $15 million. How much? $15. $15 million? Y'all are good. <laughs> <gasps> can you believe that this happened to you? No. no. All right. You had, there was a point where you had to hire people, obviously. Yes, it was yes. just the two of you. Um, when you were bringing people into the fold, because this is such an intimate, it, yeah. you, have, you have a culture, you have a thing about you. How do you go about hiring, um, one, someone's taking a risk because they were coming into yeah. a startup, and two, you want someone who fits in. That was the hardest thing we've ever had to do. I think what, honestly, we're most proud of, of anything, is the team that we've built. Um, a lot of them are here tonight, and uh, like hopefully they're, they're here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yes! Uh, but we, we have a really special culture, and I think we're proudest of it because it was really hard for us to build that. It was the two of us, and we thought, okay, we'll be really good at building culture. And for the first four months, it was like we were in this really tiny office. We had two people there with us. And I remember, and then we had like five people, and then I remember one of our first employees like took us out. She's like, we either have to get drunk together or do an activity because we have no culture. And we were like, oh, like, I guess we have to do that. So all of a sudden we became obsessed with how do we how do we explain to other people what's in our heads? Which is, we never had to articulate to each other what is the skim, what does it stand for, what's the voice? What are our brand values? What, like, how do you define our sense of humor? And we have such a great partnership because we joke it's like a married couple, but like half of the day we don't even speak out loud to each other. Mm -hmm. It's just like we give each other a look. And she's like, did you? I'm like, I did. And like, <laughs> and like that's our day. Um, but we had to figure out how do, you, how, do you, how do we have people who are truly taking a risk with us and on this journey where it's now their company too. I mean, all of our employees have equity and it's hugely important to us um, because it is their company too. And so we became obsessed with it. Um, and we, it took us, we, I think we hired really slowly um, was one of the first things we did, which I'm really happy we did it that way. But we also, I think the thing that's most surreal for us is like every day we get off the elevator and I'm like, I can't believe there are people here. Well, I can't <laughs> believe we have an office that the elevator opens into. Right. Like that is wow. weird. Yeah. Wow. And so that's how you, that's how you pick the people. I think uh, we yeah, look I mean, I for think people that love, you know, we ask them at the final step in the interview process, what, if you were to come work here, what do you want to get out of your time here? Um, and I think it says a lot about the way people answer, and they answer totally differently, but what we look for is you have to love some part of the company. Um, you don't have to love, I mean, it's great if you love the writing, but it's equally as important if you love the idea of building out a revenue stream mm -hmm. or building out some sort of technology that's going to make it easier for our audience to communicate with each other. And I think the people that answer that question with something really that is just for them, um, aren't the right fit yeah. for us. Like we want people that want to come and build. 
Okay, um, it's a huge political year, and yes. really? Anyway, so um, you guys obviously covered lots of politics, and there are certain, you know, blogs, things, whatever, Huffington Post took a stand, and they said, we're not gonna cover Donald Trump, we'll put him in entertainment, and then we had, then they were forced to mistake. put him out yeah, there. That was awkward. <laughs> that was a mistake. <laughs> anyway, but, so you guys, you have young readers, you feel like you have a responsibility. Do you always tell it straight? Like, how do you cover politics? I think, our, I think actually we tell it, we tell it less, we use more of a voice with politics because sometimes it is just so ridiculous. I think anything to do with Congress, we're like, oh, they actually did something. Yeah. Um, so I think it's actually easier for us to use our voice with, with politics than it is for, you know, we, we won't do it when there are tragedies or when, sure. you know, I think that's a clear line. But the voice is really, it's telling it like it is. And I think in politics sometimes it's, you know, we, we use this a lot, but what the right says and what the left says and what the skim says is usually something like, why don't we actually do something about it? Like, I think wow. like our, our general, the way we describe the voice is it's your friend who is just the no BS friend, your friend who says it like it is. And doesn't mean that we're taking a political stance or not. It just means like sometimes we're calling bullshit on things. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it may have a theme to it over a course of a few days and people might be like, oh, you're just one of those. Mm -hmm. But um, our favorite days, and I think what says a lot is, especially in the last few weeks and few months, on a, any given day, we will get emails about the same piece of writing that says, oh my gosh, you guys are such a left-leaning left liberal rag, get over it, Hillary lost. And the next email is like, I now see why Fox News invested in you. And you are, what a conservative arm you are. And it's about literally the same story. Wow. And I think what's been very eye-opening for us is just, I think people want to believe what they want to believe. I think politics, especially this year, obviously, has been very emotional for people. And um, we just, the, I think the one of the things that we're most proud of is that we did not take a stance in this election. The only stance we took about, took about it was you have to vote, and there's no excuse not to. Did you guys help register people? Is that we what you did? did? We did a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I think, you know, aside from building our team, honestly, the no excuses registration drive we did is the most proud we have ever been of our team and of the company, getting 110,000 people registered to vote, 90,000 women wow. um, in about a two-month span. Um, wow. That's a big deal. Do you feel a responsibility? Because, I mean, you guys do represent a, a segment of society. Um, do you guys feel a responsibility with all that's going on? I think we I feel do. a responsibility. I think, I honestly feel like it's a, we have a privilege to educate people. Like, I think in many ways the election is the best thing that ever happened to us. And when I say that in New York, people are like, what? Yeah. But uh, what, what we mean by that is I think everyone, no matter if you were happy who won or, or just devastated who won, Everyone woke up the next day being like, oh my God, I live in a bubble. Oh my God, my bubble is mm -hmm. so much bigger than I thought it was on either side. And we now have a responsibility and a privilege to make it easier for our audience to be smarter and understand outside their, their own bubble. And I definitely feel that responsibility every day when mm -hmm. we send that email I think out. what we saw with our No Excuses campaign is that the model that we have of having something that people have read every day and felt like you know, they could trust us to tell them what's going on in Syria and trust us not to say vote for Hillary or vote for Donald Trump. Like mm -hmm. That is not the point of what we do every day. But the point is to educate our audience about what's going on in the world and then let them make their own decision. Um, and we drive people towards an action. So the mm -hmm. action wasn't go 
stump for Hillary, the action was go exercise your right to vote. Go take what you learned and actually do something with mm -hmm. it. And I think that is a responsibility that we feel every day, which is to help people get more engaged. And whether that means having a conversation with someone that disagrees with you, having a conversation with someone that doesn't live in your same part of the world mm -hmm. and actually try to understand what is going on in their neck of the woods, like those are things that it makes me sad that that doesn't happen. And it mm -hmm. makes me sad that that's an anomaly. Um, but that is the, I think, you know, the, the value that our company has, and it's a really interesting one right now, and we're really excited to be able to do that for our community. Are you so proud, the parents of these girls? <laughs> like, I'm looking at these, these girls, and I'm thinking, wow, I would love to just sit down with your mom and, moms and dads and figure out what was in the water at your house, because really I want like to sit talk to you. of that, for sure. Um, you guys, we are going to take questions in a few minutes, but you guys have something that I have on my phone, and it's called Skim Ahead. Will you just describe what that is for a second, and then we're going to um, play a yeah. little game. So Skim Ahead is a subscription product we launched uh, in this past year in April, um, which you can get at the App Store for two ninety nine a month, 30 days free. Uh, but uh, you can take out your phones. Yeah, I won't think it's rude. We think it's great. <laughs> sign up. Uh, but... Skim ad is your secret weapon. We basically, in the same way that we solved with email of, okay, what do I need to know today to go to that party? Our, this, we looked again to our friends, and consistently they were giving the same feedback, which was, oh, I know the State of the Union's on tonight, but I wish you had told me that last week because I have dinner plans. Yeah. Or how did you know the, uh, that Orange is the New Black came on back? Like, I would have watched it all weekend, and now I'm behind. Yeah. And there were just these moments of people falling behind. And then we, we kind of took a step back and realized, okay, well, what is another routine that we all share? And any professional will say that they live on their calendar. We do not know where we are coming and going until mm -hmm. our calendar tells us. So Skim Ahead is a subscription service that really will help you anticipate what is coming up, down to when is your favorite show back, what news events you need to know about, when your favorite sports game is on, um, what movies you need to watch because Oscars are coming up and you've got this amount of time left to watch it. Um, and so we found that it, was, it opened the door for us to a subscription revenue stream, which we're super excited to double down on, but mm -hmm. it also opened up um, opened the door for us to activate our audience in a new way and to enter a whole new routine of theirs. Wow. It is, it's, it's a really awesome app because I, I downloaded it Thank and you. I'm in the news, so I figured I knew what was going <laughs> on and I was like, I didn't know that was happening, but it pops right up on your counter. So uh, we, we want to give away some stuff, some skim swag, and we want to bring a few people up on stage just for a minute and we're going to see if you guys know what's coming up ahead. All right, I need four people. Where is Lindsay? Where is Lindsay? Lindsay, come on up. Come here. Come here, Lindsay. Come on up. You're coming up. Come on over here to the side. I just need a, three other people. Where's Julian? Come on, Julian. Just come on up. And I need two other people. Come on. Don't be shy. You want to come up? Come on up. Of course you do. Where's Jess? Jess. Come on up, Jess. Come on, Jess. Sorry. Come on. Come on, kids. Come on, Jess. Don't be shy. Where are the skim people? I want to see you. Where are you? Wow. Y'all look good. And then we're going to take questions right after this. Come on up. All right, just before you guys come up, and we're going to do this in one second, will you please just tell me real quick 
how Oprah Winfrey came to give you a big kiss? Uh, so what did she do? I mean, the, the direct line of communication we have with our audience works really well when we would look at the email addresses people wrote in from. Yeah. So there was someone we were communicating with, and she was like, oh, you know, my daughter gave me the skim, and we saw, I think her email was at Harpo. Um, and just, you know, reached out, and she sent it to Oprah, and we what just started Oprah talking. Say? Oprah I mean, really likes the skim. Yeah. What did she say? How do you know? So, but so then well, the, her the, people told us. Yeah, so then the president, uh, the former president of Harpo asked me to for breakfast, and she's like, you know, Oprah loves to support young women and, and entrepreneurship. How can we be supportive? So we were like, we just want her to read the skim. And they're like, okay, well, you know, we'll let you know. And we're like, okay. <laughs> and then a few months later, we, we got an email, Oprah loves the skim. And Did you die? Yes. Yes. I mean, that's so crazy. I mean, yes. So then right? we were on a plane, we land on the plane and go on Twitter, and it's just like everything's exploding, <gasps> like the day that you talked about us. And we were on a Oprah, plane in San Francisco, yeah. so it was like, you know, five hours. Oprah so, tweeted yeah. that she's like, those skimmers are onto something. Oprah tweeted? Oprah tweeted. And we are just like, I can't, I can't explain. So then we, <laughs> Oprah's team knows we're freaking out. So they invited us to go to her Live Your Best Life tour, which is why I said, quoted her before, <laughs> that affected me. Uh, but we uh, went to Miami, uh, to the Miami Airlines Arena, and I will say it, it's, it's like a dry event, and you have thousands of women. Which I think is really interesting for all of yes. us. Thousands <laughs> of women, yeah. like, doing a conga line, like, praying to the Church of Oprah. And by the end of the thing, I, my You're hands are <laughs> in the air, and I am just like, yes. And then they took me backstage to, to meet her, and she was like, I read you every morning. I love you. And I was like, I love you. And I'm not a crier. I cried right. so hard. Oh, I, wow. I lost it. And then two years, like to the day, I remember the day. I, so this past October, I was in a restaurant. And uh, I look over, and I'm like, I think that's Gail and Oprah. And I was like, this cannot happen. Like, like what is the likelihood of Gail yes, and Oprah having dinner in front and? of you? It was Gail and Oprah. So I went over. I was like, Carly from the skim, and she gave me another high five. She's like, I love you. Carly's like, it's our anniversary. I was like, it's our anniversary. It was like, we have a day. So October 25th is our anniversary. With Oprah. Put that on skim ahead, all right? <laughs> the Oprah anniversary. All right, guys, so will you guys explain what you're going to do? Yeah, we're going to play a game. Everyone get excited. It'll be fun. <laughs> Don't look so nervous. Uh, it, it's our game called Skim Ahead. We are going to give you clues as to what the event is, uh, and then you guys say the, what the event is and extra points if you get the date. Okay, so you gotta hear what the event is. So, we'll, okay, is there a bell or something up there? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. Just one? Okay. All right, Just okay. One. Good the luck. The first clue. This is the day that will make you want to practice your award show acceptance speech. Julian. The Oscars. Close. But it's actually the day that Oscar nominations are announced. Oh. January 24th. <laughs> January 24th, yeah. Are you waiting for that day? I yeah. was. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right, next. Um, Someone gets a point. Okay, clue number two. This is when the year of the rooster starts. This is when people get cash money in red envelopes. Chinese New Year. Yes. yes. Oh, okay. Yes. All right, everybody. Yes. No? January 28th. Is that, sure. yeah. Yeah. Okay. This is when the most expensive commercial of the year will air. Super Bowl. Super Bowl. Yes. Oh, I knew that. I knew that. Lindsay good. did get that. Yeah. I'm sorry. Nice. Okay. Uh, February 5th. Last one for all of you athletic people. This is the deadline for your athletic friend to decide to run over 20 miles. 
the New York Marathon? Yeah. So yes. You're on the right track, but it's actually oh. the deadline to decide whether you, um, sorry, it's the deadline of New York City Marathon applications. So if you are in New York, you need to know that you need to register by February 17th. And screw up traffic. And Scam Ahead will tell you that. Awesome. So you guys all get Skim Swag. Oh. Yay. Congratulations. I love your pants. <laughs> Julian works with me, so oh, okay. you know I invited him up too. <laughs> You're welcome, Julian. <laughs> Got to do a little home cooking every now and then too. All right, we have some questions from the audience, and keep them coming. Um, okay. Okay, so the, the, little, this one's half answered. How did the skim cover the 2016 election? What are your plans for covering the new administration? How do you do that? Um, I think that is something that we're figuring out each day, mm -hmm. um, and you know I don't think anything is changing, and that we're we're not taking a side. The skim is not was not created to be you know a liberal slant or conservative slant, and we continue to look at that. I think the idea of you know calling out people on BS is something that has always been a part of us, and will definitely be part of going forward in this administration. Um, but I think you know there were. There's been really interesting parts of this where I think almost the process story has become something mm -hmm. that we're covering more and more, right? I think it's also the first time, um, at least for our generation, where our friends and our audience is really paying attention to what do these roles actually mean? Mm -hmm. Like, what is a counselor to the president? What, you know, what, what is an education secretary? What does that actually do? Mm -hmm. How will that affect things that I care mm -hmm. about? And so part of this week, we launched um, a whole inauguration guide of like, actually explaining, like, these are the faces that you need to know, and this is actually what their job titles mm -hmm. really mean. Um, so we're going to try to continue to take that approach, which is that, and it goes back to, honestly, our no excuses um, approach, which is there's no excuse not to know about what's going on. And these are, I think, what we're going to see in the next four years is that there will be massive changes and there will be changes that really will affect people's day to day mm -hmm. and um, the best thing that you can do for yourself is to inform yourself. Yeah, I think it's interesting too because um, whenever you see a tweet from the president-elect or when you see something like that, alarm bells go off. And I was watching a journalist who was on Meet the Press and there was an argument about, well, we have to cover every single tweet because it's the president. When the president speaks, we need to respond, you know, we need to be yeah. there, blah, blah, blah. And she just said something so normal. She said, I'm, I think we should all cover it. She goes, but let's just not stand on the edge of the cliff and yeah. scream like we need to jump. Like I, temper. It's temper also, it. I think we've never been so happy to not be a 24-hour news organization. Like that's a luxury that we've always viewed as a luxury coming from NBC where we've seen the resources that go into it. But I think now we have the benefit of, you know, if there is a tweet, we get a whole day of kind of analyzing the news cycle before we have to put something out. Did so you I guys think ever it, think about, <laughs> excuse me, going breaking news like we, when something happens? We thought about it. We thought about it and then we realized we weren't crazy. No. Yeah. We didn't <laughs> want to do that. But by the way, you don't really need to. I mean, it's nice to get around I up think, at six. Honestly, thank God for NBC training because we, we saw... We worked in what we believe was had the best resources and the best talent, and we know exactly what goes into covering breaking news responsibly in the right way. And no matter how much funding we would get, we can't do that overnight. We can't build that ourselves. And right. I think we get very alarmed when we see companies that are like, I mean, I remember a few years ago we met a news startup that I actually think no longer exists, and they told us they were sending field reporters to Syria. And our first thought was the liability insurance. Because like, as producers, yeah. like, we're like, are you insured? Like, who's the camera guy? Like, who's the camera guy? Sure. Like, and, I mean, it's, it's and things I, that really go on. I think 
our training made us responsible journalists, and I hope that that stays true, like knock on wood. Yeah. But like, I, I think that um, we, there are experts who do breaking news really well, and we are more than happy and do link to them and push people to go to them in those moments. Our job is to synthesize it and to break it down and make it concise. What do you sort, like where do you go if you're, like if you want to make sure you're double and triple checking facts, mm -hmm. do you go CNN, AP, et cetera, et cetera, we, et cetera? We really go, I mean, we have a two-source policy. If it's an exclusive, then we say this is an exclusive mm -hmm. because usually that's the, the main source or there's one source saying it. Um, but yeah, we, you know, when we're fact-checking, we're taking major news outlets and not just one, making sure mm -hmm. that, you know, multiple people have the same stories. And I think the process behind, you know, the story of BuzzFeed's decision to, to go with, I think that was so interesting and that was something that when we go into reporting now on the administration coming in, so much of it is how how did the information that's coming out actually come out? Mm -hmm. um, and who's deciding to put it out? And I think that is a new point of our coverage. And I think that's mm -hmm. something that a lot of news organizations are, are trying to figure out the best way to put out there. Mm -hmm. What has been the hardest thing to learn about building a business? What was the, the thing that surprised you the most? Fundraising and managing uh, are the hardest things we've ever done. I think fundraising was the worst thing we've ever been through. Uh, thank you, Stuart, for writing that check. Uh, <laughs> but the worst thing we've ever been through, um, I think one of, the most, one of the moments where we were most proud because we really did it. And when we first started, people were like, you have to hire someone to do it. Like, you two can't do it. I mean, we truly cannot use Excel. And we had to ask our friends <laughs> to help us model. And they would ask us, they'd be like, we need the assumption. And I was like, what are you talking about? Make make an assumption. Like, what do you yeah. mean you need an yeah. assumption? We don't know anything. And, and <laughs> we, um, you know, I remember one of our, our first meetings, someone asked us our burn rate. And we didn't, that sounds like burn, sounds like something very bad. <laughs> and we didn't know what that word meant. And we said our burn rate is zero. And they're like, well, what will it be when you take in money? And I was like, zero. <laughs> and we were like, I think our rent, like that was. I, and they were like, really? okay, like, I really think you need to go through these numbers again. I was like, why? They're great. And we had this like yeah. attitude of like, you know, we're just going to fake it till we make it. That and person did end up investing. Yes. Oh, uh, but eventually. Yeah. But uh, we, we I mean, it was really, really hard for us. It was learning a new language for us. It was thinking differently. And it was, um, we never could have done it without the other doing it with us. And. Um, it was, it was I think it goes back to like, I mean, what you actually said, which is we're two people that don't like to fail and that had kind of this idea of the path that we wanted and we're lucky enough to get on that path. So things like, it, it's, it's funny looking back on it now, how when we get rejected from something now, it's no big deal because we heard so many no's. I mean, more no's, more doors slammed shut in that first year of business than we ever had before. And I remember distinctly there was a day in our old apartment when we had done, I think, four pitches on the phone um, and just heard, no, 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 I'm not interested, email is dead, women are a niche audience, you don't know how to code, you don't have a business background, there are two of you. Like, I mean, it was just anything. Um, I don't like news, my wife doesn't like it, um, I think it's just okay. Um, and once you start hearing it, you know, it, you become numb to it. And we made a decision and it was either, should we try to go back to our, our old jobs or do we just keep going? And we decided just to keep going no matter what. 
Um, Why? Like, what was it that made you? Like I think, honestly, our users. Because from day one, we had user traction. Had we had no users, we uh, probably would yeah. have been like, okay, like, nice try. What a risk we took. So at the same time, people were saying no, like these investors. Then we would actually go back to our jobs and sit down to write. And at the time, we, we still respond to every email that someone writes in. So then we would go after hearing all of this negative feedback about why we're not going to be a success. Um, and at the time, it was actually right around Hurricane Sandy. Um, and we were getting notes from our audience saying, my daughter lives four blocks away. She said they still have power. Do you need a place to stay? Do you need me to send you Total water? Do you, I mean, and it was like, thank wow. you for telling me what's going on. Are you guys okay? And it was a real community of people that were concerned about us and upset that we might not be able to publish the next day. Wow. Um, and That's I think big. that was just, you know, it was kind of like, it was so easy then to tune out people that weren't the target audience, weren't who we were going after, and were choosing to ignore the traction that we had already created from nothing. Mm -hmm. um, so I think actually what was great about that is that it made our pitch much more confident um, because we would go in and just say like, well, no, you're not, like this isn't for you. Mm -hmm. We're not pitching you because it's for you. We're pitching you because it's for you know, a, a huge amount of people that actually like what we're doing every day. Wow. Um, you guys have great personal lives too, by the way. I miss your husband. You have a cute boyfriend because people are probably looking up here going, they work all the time. They probably, but you've managed because that's not a simple thing to also have all of this, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a work in progress. Yeah. I think that we are, hi. Her <laughs> husband's I, there. I think that we, um, the first year was really tough. Yeah. We, the first six months we survived on adrenaline only. We had no schedule. We were doing, we were never sleeping. Um, we looked terrible. Uh, we, <laughs> I went home and my parents were like, what has happened to you? Like, <laughs> we, there was no exercise. Um, we were just like in our apartments all day. And it was really small. We weren't getting enough air. We were in sweatpants and just writing all the time. Just like staring yeah. at a computer screen. And it was really unhealthy. Um, and so I remember we came back and um, we made a New Year's resolution that we were going to have a schedule. And we have never stuck to, I mean, we became the most rigid people you know, but it enabled us to have a personal life uh -huh. um, where we write in very specific hours. We take business meetings in very specific hours and we are off email in very specific hours and days. And there's no exceptions to the rule. And really? I mean, it's not even a matter of work-life balance. And I think, you know, people ask us all the time, like, oh, do you believe in work-life balance? Like, yes, but you can't just say that in a startup because you're going to be working all the time if you want to get off the ground. And we kind of came to the realization that unless we're alive, like unless we're actually functioning people, there is no company. Um, and once you actually believe that, then getting enough sleep and eating well and making time to work out and making time to see friends because hearing about people that don't do what you do for a living is actually awesome. helpful. We're, we're yeah. making consumer-facing products yeah. and if we're not talking to people who are our audience, what are who what What's are we the point? doing? Yeah. How do we do a good job about it? So um, I'm really proud. I think we've, we have gotten really good about sticking to that schedule, about taking time, and we're getting better at it, taking time off as needed. Um, but I, you know, I think Danielle said it best. Like We realize very quickly, if we're not alive, there's no company. Wow. And lastly, what advice would you have for, I know there are probably a lot of people thinking, I wish I could open a business. What, what's your best advice for someone who's interested? Um, I think... There are a couple of things. I think one is network. Like, know how to talk to people. Know how to ask good questions. I think out of all the things that we picked up at NBC, knowing how to ask people questions was the best thing. Um, because you 
like we didn't know anything when we started this. You know, knowing how to use Excel was kind of just the tip of the iceberg of what we didn't know. Um, so n just not being afraid to ask people questions. Mm -hmm. And I think from a tactical perspective, we both wish we knew how to code. Um, not because we want to be engineers, but I think, again, to know how to communicate with people that have a different skill set. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that was really tough for us was that when we went out to hire our first engineer, we didn't even know how to evaluate. Like, we didn't know how to interview that person. Um, and now that is something that is a part of, obviously, every, every single facet of your life. Mm -hmm. um, and if you have the time, uh, or if you are in school currently, like, you have to do that. There's, there's no excuse not to set yourself up for success that mm -hmm. way. I always just add, I think, knowing the problem you're solving. Um, we were never entrepreneurs for the sake of being entrepreneurs. Like, I don't think either of us would have joined a startup um, had we not come up with the skin. I think we probably would have stayed along the track. Um, and I think the biggest mistake I see when people do come to us for advice is they just want to be in the startup life and the startup scene. And I think every industry we've seen has been disrupted in the last you know, eight years. Um, which is great and exciting for innovation, but it doesn't mean that it's for you. And right. uh, I think knowing what are you solving for, like who is your audience? Are you a founder or are you an operator? Like maybe you're you're not a great founder, but maybe you'd be a killer like first hire for someone. And I think I think what it goes down to is like you have to know who you are. Um, and I think there's an incredible amount of like self analysis and self awareness you gain in, in starting something, and especially in having a business partner, um, that you you learn how to um, prioritize and you learn how to multitask. But you also know what you're really good at, and you know what you're not good at, and you learn how to hopefully foster the stuff that you're good at. So I think those two things is what I would tell someone. Can we have a huge round of applause <laughs> for Carly and Danielle? Thanks for listening. 92Y Talks is supported by a generous endowment established by Daphne Recanati Kaplan and Thomas S. Kaplan. You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and find more great conversations at 92yondemand.org.